0: The title of this morning's message is The Strength of the Covenant. The last time I ministered, we looked at the great escapes found in the Word of God. In particular, the escapes provided by the blood of a lamb, which includes the Israelites escaping from Egypt, believers in Jesus escaping from the power and penalty of sin, and then the believers in Jesus escaping the complete destruction of Jerusalem. God is certainly the God of the great escape. And all of these escapes were a gift of God's grace. They were mediated by the blood of the Lamb. All of these escapes came by way of faith in the strength of the covenant. One of the things that we looked at in that message was the meaning of the Aleph-Tav. The Aleph-Tav sign is found within the Old Testament scriptures. The term... Aleph Tav simply refers to the first and last letters of the Hebrew alphabet very much like us saying A and Z. These two letters do not make a word either in Hebrew or in English, but in Hebrew together they make a sign or an indicator. I have a picture for you to see. The Aleph or what we would call A looks like a fancy X and the Tav which would be equivalent to our Z. looks like a backwards lowercase n. Together, they are a sign or an indicator of a recognition of God's covenant. Everything God does, He does because of covenant. The pictographs you see there, a cross and the head of an ox or a bull. The ox signifies strength. It also signifies the father. And the cross signifies covenant also Jesus. (laughs) So covenant always involves God the Father and God the Son. So together they indicate the strength of the covenant that one has with God. At the time that Moses and the Israelites left Egypt, they were still underneath the Abrahamic covenant. It's a good thing, they wouldn't have made it. It was all about God's grace, a covenant of grace, a covenant of grant, a covenant of gift. And all that the Israelites had to do to apprehend what was in their covenant was to believe the word of God and then do the word of God. And then God fulfilled his word. One of the things that struck me in the midst of the scriptures that I was looking at when preparing that message was how everything, literally everything Moses did, during the Exodus process, and everything he told the Israelites to do was based on his understanding of the left half, the strength of the covenant. The strength of their covenant was grace, God's absolutely free, loving kindness. <laughs> it was all by gift, all by grant. They didn't have to earn anything. It was all by grace, also known as unmerited favor. The covenant was always the reason Moses had confidence. I love that. When you look at the scriptures, you keep seeing this little mark, the strength of the covenant, the strength of the covenant, the strength of the covenant. Why do I lift my hands? Because I have a covenant. (laughs) Why do I do what God says? Because I have a covenant and I know in whom I am in covenant with. And it was a grace covenant. Moses always relied on the strength of the covenant because it came through a covenant of grace. That means he couldn't mess it up. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus, for the new covenant because we can't mess it up. (laughs) Now, the Israelites found very shortly thereafter, when they got a covenant of works, that they could mess it up. So anyway, what I want you to see this morning is some of the scriptures regarding the great escape from the Red Sea. It's going to be Exodus 14, verse 26 through 28. I have placed God's name into the Scripture because it's actually there. (laughs) And when you're in covenant with somebody, you need to know their name. (laughs) And I've also placed in the Scripture the Aleph Tav for you to see because it's really there as well. Beginning with verse 26, And the Lord Yahweh said unto Moses, Stretch out Aleph Tav, Because of the strength of the covenant, thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. This, of course, was not the first time God used Moses' staff to bring forth miraculous power. The staff, however, had no power of its own. Moses was exercising faith in his covenant of grace (laughs) with the God of grace when he lifted up the staff. Moses had no power to do anything with a piece of wood. He had a stick. That's all he had was a stick. But he had faith in the God who said, lift it up. When your faith is activated by doing what I told you to do, you'll see the result of God's grace. Grace is always apprehended by faith. You got to have faith to get anything. (laughs) That's how we receive and take is by believing and doing what God says. Verse 27, Moses stretched forth Aleph Tav because of the strength of the covenant, his hand over the sea. And the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it. And the Lord Yahweh overthrew Aleph Tav because of the strength of the covenant, the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. So you see here, Moses does what Moses is supposed to do, a really silly small thing. Lift up your stick <laughs> and watch. Because you can't trust in a stick. <laughs> you can't trust even in what you do. You have to trust in the God who told you what to do, that it's Him empowering what you're doing. So Yahweh overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Verse 28. And the waters returned and covered a left hob because of the strength of the covenant. And I like this because we see Moses did what Moses was supposed to do, then God does what God's supposed to do. (laughs) Only what God could do, nothing that Moses could do. So the waters returned and covered a left half because of the strength of the covenant of grace, covered the chariots, covered the horsemen, and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them all of their enemies have been defeated. In Christ, all of our enemies have been defeated. We appropriate this victory by faith in this grace covenant. Israel's enemies were defeated through the divine intervention of God's grace and power, through the cooperation of faith. Faith cooperates with God and apprehends the desired victory. God didn't give Moses a magic wand, Most of us, when we come to God in prayer, we want him to get out his magic stick. (laughs) Wave it over the spot (laughs) and make it whatever go away. (laughs) God didn't give Moses a magic wand to wave in front of the Red Sea. Contrary to legends that you can find online, somewhere along the line, and this is what happens with religion, is they take an example and they make it the rule. They didn't look at this story in the terms of relationship. They thought God gave Moses a magic stick. (laughs) And he just went around using his magic stick whenever he needed it. (laughs) See, you don't need relationship if you have a magic stick. You don't have to have faith. You don't have to believe in the one true and living God if you have a magic stick. God did not give Moses a magic stick. There are legends that this staff, this piece of wood, was actually completely made out of sapphire and had ten jewels along the side for the ten laws. <laughs> and that somewhere in this world, this magic stick still exists. And that's what we need to look for, is the magic stick. No magic stick. Faith in God's grace. In His absolutely free, completely supplying grace. Religious superstitions, like this magic stick, are always trying to get people to believe in something other than the grace and power of God working for and through humans. Moses' staff was just a piece of wood. That's all it was. But because Moses believed the word of the Lord and did what God told him to do, which is the equivalent of stepping out in faith, the power and grace of God was released on their behalf by their covenant friend, Yahweh God. Their covenant of grace was originally made on behalf of Abraham, between God the Father and God the Son. They're always in the midst of every covenant, who showed up as a burning torch and a smoking oven in the midst of making covenant. When making covenant, animals are cut in half and both parties walk through the pieces, signifying that breaking the covenant will result in death to the one who broke it which of course was impossible in this Abrahamic covenant because neither God nor God can die. (laughs) But there's a reason he did this. First of all, God is not capable of failing. Jesus is not capable of failing and neither of them can fail to fulfill their word. It's not possible. It's not possible for them to not fulfill their covenant. But this covenant that this was under, it was the Abrahamic covenant. It was a covenant of grace, but it was between God and God. It wasn't between God and Abraham. Abraham was represented by the smoking oven, the one that was temporarily buried. (laughs) Okay, so God made covenant with God on behalf of Abraham. Abraham is included. This is a special kind of covenant. It's called grant, favor, or grace. You don't do anything but believe. <laughs> That's all he had to do. God didn't require him to follow a list of rules. He said, now that you're my covenant partner, um, let's start walking in integrity <laughs> because now you bear my name. and I'm a God of integrity. But he didn't have rules he had to fulfill in order to be in this covenant. The promises that God gave Abraham had nothing to do with Abraham making them happen. That's a covenant of grace. All that was required of Abraham was that he believed what God said and then did what God said. Abraham's doing came from first his believing. Believing right leads to right living. Right living does not lead to being right. Being right is a gift, <laughs> because we have been made right, we can live right. <laughs> People trying to live right find that it's very hard if they aren't first made right. So, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And we see this in James chapter 2, verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Right standing, and he was called the friend of God. The word friend is covenant talk. <laughs> I call my husband honeycakes all the time, I don't call anybody else <laughs> honeycakes. <laughs> no one that's because we have a covenant, and my name for my covenant partner is honeycakes. <laughs> He has all kinds of names for me. (laughs) There's always a new one right around the corner. (laughs) But covenant friends were important and powerful friends that you could call on at any time, and they were bound by their covenant commitment to come to your rescue. That was God. God committed himself to be Abraham's covenant friend. Abraham could call on him at any time for anything because it was all of grace and the first thing God gave his friend Abraham when Abraham didn't even ask for it was righteousness right standing with God as a gift what a great gift you see if you have righteousness you can have anything you ask for because it's of grace Righteousness is the only qualification, and he gives it to us. There, I made you qualified. <laughs> you can have it all now. You're in the kingdom. <laughs> like Abraham, our faith righteousness enables us to have all that God has promised and provided by his covenant of grace. And we see this in Romans chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. I have it for you in the Passion translation. God promised Abraham and his descendants that they would have an heir who would reign over the world. This royal promise was not fulfilled because Abraham kept all of the law. Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) This promise was fulfilled not because he kept the rules, not because he kept the law. In fact, Abraham didn't even have the law, (laughs) but through the righteousness that was transferred by faith. Verse 14, for if keeping the law earns the Inheritance. Do you get inheritance by following rules, or do you get inheritance by gift? By gift. We don't earn inheritance. We receive inheritance. <laughs> For if keeping the law earns the inheritance, then faith is robbed of its power, and the promise becomes useless. For the law provokes punishment, and where no law exists, there cannot be a violation of the law. The promise depends on faith so that it can be experienced—I love that—so that it can be experienced as a grace gift. And now it extends to all the descendants of Abraham. This promise is not only meant for those who obey the law—he was talking about the Jews—but also to those who enter into the faith of Abraham, the father of us all. The Jews didn't like Gentiles, but their father Abraham started out as one. (laughs) he was a heathen he was a Gentile there was no such thing as a Jew until God started a new thing (laughs) and so he's telling them the law won't get you saved the law won't make you righteous the law won't bring you inheritance but Jesus will and it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile it's the same for everybody so God made it as easy as possible for someone to enter into a covenant relationship with himself it's all about faith believing what God, our faithful covenant friend, says (laughs) so that all that our covenant friend is and has can be ours as an absolutely free gift of His loving kindness. But God also knows that human beings, like Abraham, (laughs) often have difficulty believing what God, our faithful covenant friend, says. So God provided a remedy. And we see this in Hebrews chapter 6, beginning with verse 13. I have it again for you in the Passion Translation. Verse 13. Now when God made a promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater than himself, he swore an oath on his own integrity to keep the promise as sure as God exists. So he said, have no doubt. I promise to bless you over and over and over and over and over and over and over (laughs) and give you a son and multiply you without measure. So Abraham waited patiently in faith and succeeded in seeing the promise fulfilled, especially the son part. (laughs) It is very common for people to swear an oath by something greater than themselves, for the oath will confirm their statements and end all dispute. That's the point when someone says, I swear to God that this is the truth. The fact that they're swearing to God or by God, which we're not supposed to do, <laughs> is a way of someone trying to convince you that they're telling you the truth. If they have to swear to it, they're probably not. <laughs> Let your yay be yay, and your nay be nay. <laughs> but the point is, they're trying to convince you of something they want you to believe is true. So. In the same way, I love this, God wanted to end all doubt, still does, (laughs) and confirm it even more forcefully to those who would inherit, again inherit, his promises. His purpose was unchangeable. So God added his vow to the promise. So it is impossible for God to lie. Imagine that. (laughs) It is impossible for God to lie. For we know that his promise and his vow both will never change. And now we have run into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. (laughs) In his faith. (laughs) In his goodness. (laughs) This is where we find his strength and comfort. For he empowers us to seize what has already been established ahead of time an unshakable hope hope is a confident expectation of our father's goodness coming to us through and because of the lord jesus christ when god swears an oath it means that whatever he said or promised is irrevocable (laughs) the gifts and callings are without repentance which means without change of mind they're not revocable Never, no matter what you do, no matter how bad you are, (laughs) no matter if you go off and do stupid stuff, irrevocable. (laughs) And there's nothing anyone can do to change it. Whatever God promised on oath, he personally saw to it that it was accomplished just as he said it would be. God promised Abraham that he would have a son and that through that son would eventually come another promised seed which, of course, was Jesus, through which the whole world would be blessed. The whole world would be empowered to prosper in every area of life through this new covenant of grace. People would no longer have to live under the power of the curse. We don't have to live under the power of the curse. Is the curse active in our world? Sure it is. There's still death out there. We have an umbrella called grace. We don't have to live under the curse. The whole world can enter into this covenant of grace simply by faith. It is available to all. And as it was with Abraham, so God's covenant promises would come to believers in Jesus the same way they came to Abraham, by grace, through faith, in the Word of God. The word spoken by God is a word spoken by somebody who cannot lie. I love that. Cannot lie. Years ago, I heard a minister say, It isn't that God doesn't want to lie. The truth is, whatever he says is. He's the God that calls things that are not as though they were. Why? Because they is. (laughs) As soon as he says it, if he says monkeys can fly, guess what? Every monkey in the world is going to sprout wings. (laughs) Because he said it. He can only speak that which is truth. He can't speak a lie. Everything he says is. God is not somebody who can lie. He is someone who cannot exaggerate. God says if we saw all the good things he has in store for us for eternity, we would not believe him because it's so good. (laughs) So it's hard for us to believe just how good God is. He says, you would think I was exaggerating. (laughs) He doesn't want you to think that he exaggerates because he doesn't. And he's also someone who cannot, cannot, is not capable of being unfaithful. He only ever speaks the truth because truth is who he is. Our Father's fidelity to Christ and Christ's fidelity to his Father is without fault. And together, their fidelity, their faithfulness is to us. They will never leave us on our own because we have become one with them through the new covenant. We have been invited to sit in the Trinity. What? (laughs) Just like Abraham, it was done on his behalf so he could be included in what God did with God. Same thing for us. God has invited humanity to step into Christ and thereby be part of his ruling government on this earth. We see this in John chapter 17, where Jesus is praying to the Father for believers beginning with verse 13, this is the ESV version. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Christ got his life from the Spirit, from his Father, so were the disciples. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world. They don't try to get their life from this world, just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify means to set apart unto. My husband is sanctified unto me. I am sanctified unto my husband. (laughs) That means we don't have others. (laughs) When we are sanctified by the truth, it means we are set apart from the world to God the Father and God the Son, we become set apart from, but mostly set apart to. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, which is just another way of saying, sanctify myself unto God. And Jesus said, I could go try to find my own life in the world, but I have set myself apart unto the Father to fulfill his plans and purposes. That's consecrate. And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified, set apart unto God himself in truth. Verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That would be us. (laughs) That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them even as you love me. God says when we understand this truth, not only are we one in Christ, but we're one with each other. We're all hidden inside Jesus Christ. I am now part of you. You are now part of me. The body of Christ is a whole. We just don't all live on the same page. (laughs) But the truth is, we are part of each other. And he tells us in other places, they will know you are my disciples by your love. Not by your gifts, (laughs) not by your prophecy, not by your whatever. They will know you are mine. The whole world will recognize how true Jesus is when the body of Christ loves itself. He says that's the evidence that's going to convince them. And how many churches are there? church splits? (laughs) All around the world. Why do we have 43,000 different denominations? Because they don't love. They don't believe they're actually part of each other. (laughs) Anyway, this kind of talk is covenant talk to becoming one. I love that. Perfectly one. Completely one. Not just through the Holy Spirit. That will come later. (laughs) But by covenant. The Holy Spirit does the work of covenant, but God made the covenant first. (laughs) He says, I'm joining you two by covenant. That's what you do when you get married. You make a covenant. (laughs) And then later that night, it's ratified. (laughs) It's covenant. The Father and the Son covenanted together on our behalf to provide humanity with an eternal redemption and eternal life. God has bound himself to us by covenant. We are married to God through an unbreakable covenant. Our covenant is like Abraham's. God made covenant with God on behalf of Abraham so Abraham could believe. God didn't need to convince God. (laughs) God needed to convince Abraham that he could believe and rely on a covenant partner. And if he could believe and rely on his covenant partner, he could receive all the benefits of having a covenant partner and a covenant based on grace and not his own performance. God was not the one who needed to see the burning torch and the smoking oven in the midst of the animal pieces. It was Abraham who needed to be convinced that God would not fail to keep his promises. The covenant process means that if one of the covenant partners failed to keep their promise, then death would be the result. Abraham understood the seriousness of covenant. God was saying that he would have to die (laughs) in order to actually fail to make the promise, which, of course, is impossible. So God the Father made covenant a legally and eternally legally binding agreement with God the Son on our behalf. God the Father legally transferred all the responsibility for sin to God the Son, who is and was perfectly righteous, both in spirit and performance. In him there was no sin. And then because of their great love for us, Jesus became the covenant-ratifying sacrificial lamb and carried all the sin of the world into death and then rose from the dead, having completely defeated both sin and death. To ratify a covenant means to bring it into effect. So when Jesus died, ratification in the Old Covenant was always ratified with blood. Even when Moses made the covenant, animals were cut, and the blood was applied to the people and to the book. (laughs) Everything was ratified by blood. So that's why Jesus made covenant the night before. This is my body. This is the blood of the New Covenant. And it was ratified, brought into effect the next day when he died. This new covenant provided an eternal salvation and an everlasting righteousness which was completely provided to humanity by the goodness and grace of God. It was all by grace, so that it might be all by faith and not of works. Scripture tells us that the law-based covenant was weak because it depended on man's faithfulness in order for people to be blessed. And mankind's flesh cannot produce that kind of faithfulness. The law was perfect. The man wasn't. (laughs) And he couldn't keep it. (laughs) And God didn't want that kind of confinement in a covenant again. He wanted his people to actually know him and live in his goodness with him. This is the strength of the new covenant for believers, that everything in the covenant is only available by grace and only apprehendable by faith. In other words, by believing the word of a God who cannot lie, (laughs) by believing the word of a God who has made an eternal and unbreakable covenant because he made it with himself on our behalf. We are the beneficiaries of this new covenant, and we therefore have inherited. We didn't do anything but get born. (laughs) We have inherited all the promises of God. And the word promise includes the idea of divine assurances of good. God doesn't promise bad things in the new covenant. He only promises good. And God always wants us to believe him for the promises to come to pass in our lives. Divine assurances inspire our faith. And we can see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 beginning with verse 18. I have it for you in the Williams translation. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. Verse 18, As certainly as God is to be trusted, my message to you has not been yes, that it might mean no. He had been scolded for not coming when he originally thought he was coming. So they were telling him he was, you know, a hypocrite. (laughs) You said yes, but you didn't really mean it. (laughs) he's like, no, that's not what I did. Verse 19, For God's Son, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, Silvanus, Timothy, and me, did not become a yes that it might then be mean no. But with him, with Christ, it is always yes. For as many as the promises of God may be, through him, through Christ, they are always yes. (laughs) This is why our amen through him, is for the glory of God when spoken by us. So when we go to God based on a promise, God, will you do this? We already know the answer. Yes. (laughs) Yes, I will do that. Why? Because it's a promise. (laughs) I want you to know you should have divine assurance. The answer is always yes. (laughs) And then because he says yes, we come into agreement with him and we say, Amen. So be it. It's done. It's finished. Hallelujah. (laughs) His promises are always yes. I picked this translation because it uses the word always. (laughs) And of course, it actually is the concept that it's always yes with God. God always wants what's good for us. And all of God's goodness is available to us through the Lord Jesus Christ by grace faith. Now I'm going to change direction here at this point in the message, but I want you to keep what you've heard in mind as I proceed. I want to talk to you about healing from the book of James, chapter 5. James, as a Jew, and his name was James the Just, which means he was very legalistic. (laughs) He was really good at keeping the law. That's why he struggled with grace a little bit. James would have completely understood covenant and would have realized that healing is part of the new covenant as well as the old. Lots of Christians have a hard time believing that. They don't believe healing is in the atonement. Jewish believers had no problem. (laughs) They're like, what do you mean healing's not in the covenant? Uh, What's wrong with you? (laughs) In the Old Testament, God told Israel that He was Yahweh Rapha, and God is the God who never changes. God is Yahweh Rapha, the God who heals you. What do you mean it's not in the new covenant? <laughs> but when God said this, it was preceded by an if. Because this is old covenant. Exodus 15, verse 26. This is God speaking. If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord, Yahweh, the thee. (laughs) What I like about this particular verse is that there is wisdom in it. God will lead us around (laughs) things so that we don't fall into sickness. But keeping all of these rules and regulation is not what qualified them for healing. Yes, we should take care of our bodies. But even if we don't, the grace of God still qualifies us for healing. It is the blood of Jesus that qualifies us to receive whatever healing we need. God wanted them healed, and yes, he wanted them to listen to them too. <laughs> that works together. We do what God says because we believe what God says. But when God gave them this commandment, it was just after he told Moses to throw the tree, representative of a cross, into the bitter waters at Marah. Moses did what God said. How? By faith. What happened? Grace showed up. (laughs) And they received the bitter waters made sweet. But this was all while they were still under the Abrahamic covenant of grace. The grace is the way to go. In Deuteronomy 28, God tells Israel, well, all comes underneath the umbrella of the curse. I'm not going to read all of it, just these two verses. And if Israel went after other gods, He promised they would suffer sickness. 28, verse 60. Moreover, he will bring upon thee all the diseases of Egypt, (laughs) which thou wast afraid of, and they shall cleave unto thee. Also every sickness and every plague, which is not written in the book of this law, them will the Lord God, the Lord Yahweh, bring upon thee until they'll be destroyed. Now, aren't you glad that's not your covenant? (laughs) Hallelujah! (laughs) What I want you to see is that sickness is part of the curse. It always has been. It always will be. And it doesn't belong to new covenant believers. We are not under the curse, Galatians 3.13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on the tree. You can't put a curse on me. I don't care how many special magic formulas and magic sticks and magic wands you might try. You can't put a curse on me because I am in Christ. I am in the blessing and I cannot be cursed. I can, however, be sick. I don't have to stay there. (laughs) Also, James would have been very aware of the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And with his eyes open to the new covenant, he would have known that this suffering servant was his Jesus, his very own brother, who became his very own savior. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Surely he, speaking of Christ, Surely he hath borne our infirmities and carried, you see how this is past tense, and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we ourselves are healed. And of course, this is indeed confirmed in Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. And he cast the spirits out with his word and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Even though Jesus hadn't yet died when he performed all of these miracles, Matthew, in writing his gospel, saw in hindsight that Jesus was the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And Jesus didn't have to die to have authority over all the works of the devil. (laughs) He was God in human flesh, and Satan had no power over him. And Jesus came to destroy all the works of the devil, and he started long before he went to the cross. (laughs) He went around undoing what Satan was doing. Which shows us the origin of sickness. It's not from God. It's not His tool. It's not something He uses to punish us. It's not from God, ever. (laughs) So, in light of all of this, James brings up healing in chapter 5. And he starts with verse 13. Is any among you afflicted? Now, afflicted doesn't mean physical affliction. It means, are you having a hard time? (laughs) are things rough (laughs) not going so well if that is let him pray is any (laughs) merry anybody happy in Jesus this morning let him sing psalms now according to the Greek verb tenses it actually would be better understood as let him pray and worship and keep on praying and worshiping (laughs) Let him sing and keep on singing. Keep on praying and worshiping. (laughs) Praying and worshiping should be a continuous and ongoing part of our relationship with God because when we pray, we hear. And when we worship, we are healed. We are restored. We are made right in our mind. (laughs) We have already been made right by the blood of Jesus. But when we worship, we sense him. We feel him. His presence just enlivens us and restores us. And we need that. And that's what James is talking about. If things are going badly, pray and worship. (laughs) Why? Because we need to hear God. Everything's going well. Be thankful and worship. (laughs) Praying and worshiping is what we do. Verse 14. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. When we're sick, why would we call an elder? (laughs) It doesn't mean pastor. No. (laughs) It's somebody with experience and faith. (laughs) Because elders have been around a while, and they are more inclined to believe that God heals and that healing is His will for our lives. So, therefore, they are more likely to have more confidence when they pray. Also, they are more likely to have already received healing themselves. (laughs) And that also makes us more confident when we have seen and experienced the healing of God, we can more easily believe for the healing of somebody else. The verb tense for the word call infers that it is something that we should do immediately. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny because usually we wait until we've done everything else we can do and then we find somebody to pray with. <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 first thing, prayer and worship and agreement. You pray with somebody, what are we doing? We're pulling with our faith together on that which we're asking for, agreement. It shouldn't be the last thing we try. (laughs) And the word over and the phrase praying over also includes the idea of praying on, praying over and praying towards, all of which Christians are known for doing. Not too long ago, I prayed over Sandy. Jim and Mary prayed on Sandy, laid hands on, and everybody else, you know what they did? They prayed toward. They lifted out their hands toward her. It's all scriptural. <laughs> all of that is included when we think about praying for somebody for healing. The anointing with oil is actually in the past tense. I thought that was interesting, because we always think, get the oil out, put a little cross on them, anoint them in the name of the Lord, and then they will be healed. It actually says having already been anointed with oil. That's interesting. Then you pray for them in the name of the Lord. To pray in the name of the Lord is to pray in the identity of Christ. We are one with Christ. We are not going to the Lord and begging Him to do something for somebody. That's why we call it agreement. (laughs) When we pray for somebody in the name of the Lord, we are commanding sickness to leave. We are commanding healing to come. Why? Because we have the same power and authority of Christ. In fact, it's Him in us. You probably have noticed you don't see God hanging around people on the outside. We don't see Jesus in the flesh. You and I are Jesus in the flesh. You and I carry him everywhere we go, and we are one with him. He can't do it without us, and we can't do it without him. But He's never without us, and we're never without Him! <laughs> we have to have confidence that the Christ and the power and authority in us does what we ask Him to do because all of the promises of God are yes, always, and that they do receive what we're asking God to do. Now when it comes to anointing with oil, what many believers don't realize is that in our day it is different than it was in their day. Being anointed or smeared with oil was something that was often done medicinally. In other words, it was applied to wounds as a way of speeding natural healing. In the story of the Good Samaritan who finds the Jew who's half dead, he uses oil and wine to minister to his wounds. Wine would sanitize the wound, and oil acted like a bandage. It encouraged healing. A few years ago, I was in a church lobby talking with a lady friend, And her spunky teenager showed up with this horrible nasty looking scab all over his arm from his elbow to his wrist he probably crashed on his bike or you know slid into home base but it was one big huge scab and like a teenager he's picking at it (laughs) and i was like stop (laughs) i don't want to see that and that's really bad for you stop doing that (laughs) he goes i can't get it to heal i said i know how to fix this do you want to know He's like, okay. I said, you go home and you soak all of this in baby oil and then you wrap it in gauze and you do it every single day. And within a week, most of that scab will be gone. He's like, really? (laughs) The following week I see him at church and it's half gone because he's still picking at it. (laughs) But he realized the oil encourages healing. The scab lets go and the new skin comes. So for that time period, that is what they did for wounds. They applied oil, just like with Moses' magic stick. <laughs> sometimes people have the same kind of thinking regarding oil. You ever see those commercials where they want to send you water from the Jordan River or oil from Israel? Because they tell you it's going to heal you better. (laughs) Is it water that heals you? Is it oil that heals you? Or is it the blood of Jesus that heals you? The next verse tells us, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. It doesn't say the oil. (laughs) Using oil is fine. It can be a point of contact, a point of faith, just like Moses lifting up that piece of wood. It was just a piece of wood. But God told him to lift that piece of wood. God tells you, be anointed with oil and pray. If that's your point of contact, great. But just understand, it's not the oil that saves. It's Christ that saves. 15 again, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. The prayer of faith is the prayer of somebody who is fully persuaded in their heart that all of the promises are yes, and we get to say amen. Fully persuaded in their heart that healing belongs to them and that they are qualified just as they are no matter what to receive what the stripes of Jesus paid for. Healing is a grace gift. And it's apprehended by being fully persuaded that the answer to our prayer is already yes. Because God always says yes to the promises, and then we always get to say amen. It's done. It's finished. So be it. In the phrase, shall save the sick, The word for save is sozo. I love the word sozo. (laughs) That's where we get a word for salvation. It doesn't mean just to physically heal. It means to save. It means to make safe, to heal, to protect, to deliver, to preserve, to restore. All the things that salvation is, that's the word they use here. They don't use a word just for being healed, but it's a matter of wholeness. (laughs) The pair of faith will bring wholeness to the one who is quote-unquote sick. Sick doesn't mean just ill either. It also means tired, weak, lacking strength. So it's okay if we're tired and weak and lacking strength because God is going to sozo me. (laughs) And that's the point. It doesn't matter if I'm sick with sickness or just overrun with weariness. I still need the same sozo power, the saving, restoring, healing power of Christ. In the phrase, and the Lord shall raise him up, the word raise implies being raised up from a sickbed or from a deathbed or up and out of ruins. It isn't just about being sick, it's about being whole. It's about being well. It's about living in the divine health in every area of our life. It's about being blessed and living in that blessing. And then the next part of this is one of my favorites. (laughs) And if he has committed sins. When we see how translators translate, they translate according to their own personal belief. They can't do otherwise. (laughs) So (laughs) if you believe somehow that sin sticks to you. (laughs) That's how you're going to translate it. (laughs) The word and if, in the Greek, it doesn't have to be translated and if. It can be translated even if. Makes a big difference. (laughs) God will save you, make you whole, even if you've sinned. Because it's all about grace and not performance. Sin doesn't stick to us. We've been smeared with the Holy Spirit. Sin doesn't stick. (laughs) I personally know of brokenhearted people who were told that they miscarried their child because they must have had hidden sin. They were told, well, there has to be sin in the camp. Why else would this happen to you? Instead of the devil doesn't play fair and we're going to fight this. No, they were told it's all your own fault. You must be a sinner and you're just hiding it from everybody. That is old covenant thinking. That is not based on a grace covenant. Grace is the strength of our covenant. We can't mess it up. (laughs) He won't let us. We're smeared. We're slippery. (laughs) The curse can't stick. (laughs) God has already dealt with all of our sin forever. Sin no longer disqualifies us for anything that's in our covenant with God. God says, I wanted you to live blessed, empowered, and prospered in every area of your life. He wants us to walk being healed. And then the phrase, shall be forgiven him, is actually just one word. Afi-Ami. And it's translated, they shall be forgiven him. Now, this word does include the meaning of to forgive. That's why they picked it. (laughs) But... There are several different words for the concept of forgiveness. So I had to do some digging to find out what was different about this word. So you wouldn't find it in the Strong's. The word literally means to dismiss or send away guilt. In other words, our sins are not held against us. Even if we're actually guilty, (laughs) our guilt is dismissed and sent away verse 15, would better be translated this way. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, even if he might have committed sins. His guilt is dismissed and sent away. And the word might is actually in there. People think that there's a sin that they've committed that they don't even know that they've committed it. But they're sure it's going to send them to hell. (laughs) Something that people struggle with in their life. They think it will send them to hell. It's a covenant of grace. It's a covenant of gift. And God's doing everything and has done everything so that we can have it all. When we understand that our guilt is dismissed and sent away, even if we were technically guilty, (laughs) we can let go of our own guilt and shame and receive. You can't receive when you're feeling guilty and shameful because you will believe you don't deserve it and that somehow God is right quote unquote, in punishing you with this sickness. Much of the church believes that way. God would never do that to his children, never. Would you put sickness on your child to teach them a lesson? No, neither does our father, even if we're guilty of sin. In fact, sinners can get healed. A lot of times that's how people do come to Christ, They get healed and they're like, this is awesome. I should really meet this Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, there are no qualifications to receive except believe. God is not holding anyone's sins against them. How come sinners can get healed? Because God's not holding their sins against them. (laughs) So often even Christians think, well, I don't deserve for God to heal me. You're right. Nobody deserves healing. It's not given because we deserve it. It's given because it's a grace and it's a gift. That's why it's only available by grace. (laughs) Healing is not being withheld from anybody. That's why we can lay hands on the sick, the sinner, the addict, the prostitute. And God's promise is still yes and amen because he did it for the whole world. This is the strength of the covenant of grace. And no power on earth or in hell can stop the power of his grace. But we have to hear the word of God, believe the word of God, and then act on the word of God in order to apprehend his promises. When we know the truth about the unbreakable covenant that God has invited us into, with a God who cannot lie, and who has already done everything that needed to be done in order to save us, and heal us, and deliver us, and protect us, and provide for us, and to keep us safe? How could we not believe? God cannot lie. All of the promises are yes and amen in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. For me, discovering how covenant-minded both God and Moses were It made me think about becoming more covenant-minded myself. Of course, our covenant is so much greater than the Abrahamic covenant, even though it was a covenant of grace. None of the Old Testament saints got to become one with the living God. They were his covenant people, but they didn't become sons of God individually. They didn't get the joy of being (laughs) guilt-free. Because they could get forgiven, but their sins were covered, but they would still feel the guilt. Our grace covenant is so much greater. We get to know our God. We get to talk with our God. We get to experience the presence of our God whenever we want to. Because he has made himself available to us as a gift of his grace. I have one scripture to close with. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, being justified, being declared innocent by God himself... (laughs) By faith, we have peace. We are not at war. We are not at separation. We have peace and wholeness with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we also have access, constant access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. We stand in it, we live in it, and we can access it. (laughs) It's awesome. (laughs) <laughs> and because of that, we rejoice in hope, the confident expectation of our Father's goodness that comes from the glory or the manifest presence, the glory, the manifest presence of God. God's glory is who he is. He manifests, he reveals himself, and he, it's all available to us by grace through faith. Amen? Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word. You made it easy, but we sure make it difficult for you sometimes, Lord. (laughs) We believe lies, things about you that aren't true. We believe things about ourselves that's not true. It's so easy for us to get our eyes off of who and what you are and what you've done and onto how we fail, how we fall short, how we could be better. But none of that matters. You are always in us and with us to help us grow more and more in manifesting the glory of who you are, that the whole world might know and see that you are real. Father God, I ask that you remind us of how unbreakable this covenant is. (laughs) We thank you, Father, for your word. And we thank you that you are a God who cannot lie. In Jesus' name, amen.